Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Last week, I had the opportunity to preach at Scent Church, one of our sister churches in Cedar Falls, for Pastor Daniel Quimby. Some of you would know him. Uh, He was part of our church for a season and then launched the church there. And they launched Kingdom Builders a couple of weeks ago, and I had the opportunity to go down there, and he asked me to, uh, to speak as part of that series. And again, for those of you who are new to our church and you wonder what Kingdom Builders is, it's our funding strategy for global missions, local church expansion, and future Christian leaders. They set a goal a few weeks ago of raising $40,000 this year for, uh, for Kingdom Builders, and already in the last few weeks, they've raised over $10,000 for Kingdom Builders, which is just amazing, <laughs> so amazing. I, I love that they have been part of our Kingdom Builders program for the last couple of years. They're still part of our Kingdom Builders uh, program. We're supporting them as a church plant, and now for them to be a kingdom-building church as well and investing in global missions, local church expansion, future Christian leaders is really uh, cool. And I know that you did not uh, have second-class preaching last week. Pastor Madison preached, and it was phenomenal. Preached a powerful message on parenting, and Sierra did a moment before uh, her sermon uh, last week that was absolutely powerful. Thank you, Sierra. Uh, I told you all a few weeks ago how powerful that that moment was in a Wednesday night youth service, and then last week she stepped up here and just owned it and did a phenomenal job in both services. We're proud of you, and we're grateful to God for what he's doing in the youth ministry. And for those of you here today to cheer on those that got baptized, I want to say welcome. Thanks for showing up today. This was a big step for these students to go public with their faith, and your support means the world to them. And so I just want to say thank you uh, for being here. If you missed the message last week, Pastor Madison's message, make sure to watch online on Facebook or YouTube or Crosspoint or listen at crosspointwaverly.com or Spotify. There are certain faith traditions that follow a liturgical calendar, and for some of you, you have been part of churches that do that. Our church is not one of those. We've not had a history of following the liturgical calendar, but as we look at the liturgical calendar, can you believe that Easter is only six weeks away? Six weeks away. This past Wednesday officially kicked off the season of Lent, and we all know what's coming, Resurrection Sunday. Right, we, That weekend when Jesus was crucified, he was buried, and he was raised from the grave. And sometimes we can say that statement so flippantly. Oh, yeah, it's Easter. You know, just that moment where Jesus was crucified and buried and raised from the dead. Right, But this is not an everyday occurrence. Right? This is something miraculous that happened. And so uh, I think that uh, as we look at this, I'm so grateful that we did communion this morning. That we look back at the sacrifice that Christ paid for us and Jesus endured torture and a brutal death so that we could have forgiveness of sins. And he did this for me and he did it for you. He breathed his last breath and it looked like the story was over And there was a waiting to see, would he be who he said he was going to be, and would he do what he said he was going to do? And three days later, in dramatic fashion, the stone was rolled away from the tomb, and Jesus rose from the grave. This is a miracle. 
And he appeared to his disciples and to many others. And I wonder if the reason why we don't sit in this moment and understand the magnitude of it is because we know how it ends. And because we know how it ends, we don't experience the tension of the in-between. My wife is a huge KU basketball fan, and yesterday she DVR'd the game, and last night we're laying in bed and we're watching this game, and for those of you who know me, know that the only reason why I cared about the outcome of the game is because she cared about the outcome of the game. And if mama's happy, then everybody's happy. And if mama's team doesn't win, nobody wins. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm praying for KU to win yesterday, and I'm watching this game. She's DVR'd it, and it comes down to literally less than two seconds left in the game. And the tension, oh my God goodness, it was real. The tension was so real. KU was going to throw the ball in, and there were all these timeouts that happened. They finally throw the ball in. The guy botches it, and then it bounces over here, and this guy grabs it. I don't even know who it is, but he launches it up, and miraculously it makes it, and I'm like, yeah! Oh, wait. Time was out. He shot it too late. Are you kidding me? I've got to lay here for even more time with the tension of who's going to win this game? No, I don't. My wife DVR'd that game. <laughs> I pulled out my phone. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to find out who wins so I can relax. <laughs> I Googled the score, laid there in peace, and watched as my wife struggled with the tension of who was going to win the game, and KU won, and the rest is history. So... When you know the final score, you don't feel the tension. For those of you who like to read books and, and, and read a book where the tension is building, and for some of you it's just too much, so you flip to the end of the book to read the rest of it. When you read the rest of the book with the end in mind, it has a different feel than if you would have read it without knowing the outcome. The entire Bible is a very different picture for us than for those who actually experienced the moments that we only read about. They didn't have the assurance of the end at the beginning. They had to live with the uncertainty of the in-between. As I prayed about what to preach about leading up to Resurrection Sunday, I felt like the Holy Spirit directed me this year to focus on the season of Lent, to prepare our hearts for a familiar yet supernatural moment. Lent is a season of 40 days before Easter where Christians from all sorts of faith traditions fast and they pray and they refocus their lives on God. And as with anything, this could be a formality for some people. Some just go through the motions. But if we really, what, what, what would it look like if we really took the season to refocus our lives on God? It's a season that involves lament and repentance and anticipation. Sarah Phillips wrote in an article, keep in mind the idea here is not to be overly scrupulous or to deceive yourself into thinking you can earn heaven through your own goodness. The goal is to honestly examine your life in light of God's word and to make a commitment to change in any areas you have not submitted to the Lord. Lent is a season in which we lament our personal sin and brokenness. Some of you are very familiar with this word and some of you are not. There are a couple of ways that we see lament demonstrated in the Bible. One is a song of mourning after the loss of a loved one. It emphasizes feeling sorrow and wailing. Another definition is to express sorrow or grief over something. And I wonder for all of us, honestly, like this message is just as much for me as it is for everybody. And we're going to see that throughout this. But when was the last time that we lamented over our personal sin and brokenness? 
When was the last time that we mourned or grieved over our personal sin and brokenness? Maybe for some today, you just accept the way that you're currently living as normal and that you can't change. But can I tell you something this morning? That God is a God who loves us too much to leave us where he finds us. God is a God who loves us too much to leave us where he finds us. The Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin and brings deliverance from sin. So this morning, if you're living a lifestyle of perpetual sin, I pray that today that the Holy Spirit would convict your heart and set you free. I pray that you would lament over your sin and that God would break you this morning so that you can experience freedom. And I just gotta tell you today that it is possible. I want us to turn in our Bibles to Psalm chapter 139 today or scroll on your digital devices, Psalm chapter 139. We're actually gonna read the entire chapter today. I'm gonna focus on a couple of verses, but here's what I believe even in this moment as we read through these scriptures that God can speak to your heart through this. There's so much goodness and richness in this passage, and I think even just in the reading of it today that some of you are gonna be, that, that God's gonna speak to you uh, through this. So Psalm 139 Verse number one. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light above me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as a day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In the book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In this passage, the psalmist recognizes that the Lord is intimately aware of humanity's situation. He uses phrases like, you know me. You know when I sit down and when I get up. You know the words that I'm gonna say even before I say them. You surround me, and he says, this knowledge is too wonderful for him. And he uses this language of wherever you go, uh, you're there. There is nowhere I can go to escape you. A number of years ago, our son was much younger. I don't remember how old he was, but we had some family members visiting us, and he had younger cousins, and they were absolutely wearing him out. 
My wife and I looked around and we couldn't find our son and we wondered where he was. So we went down to the basement to see where he was at and we found him in his room and we said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm peopled out. We had never said that phrase to him and just thought it was absolutely hilarious that our extroverted son would say that he was peopled out. And so he found freedom from the little people in solitude in his room. A couple of thoughts with this. Number one, I'm grateful that God never gets peopled out. I'm grateful that God never gets peopled out. I'm grateful that his ways are not our ways, that his thoughts are not our thoughts. I'm also grateful that there's nowhere that we can go to escape from God. There's nowhere that we can go to escape from God. And the psalmist continues with this imagery. He says, you know my thoughts, you know my actions, you know my location. And then he says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The psalmist recognizes that God knows all things about him. That God knit him together in his, in his mother's womb and knows his thoughts, his words, his actions, and his location. And it's with this awareness that he writes in verse number 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He says, God, you, you already see it all. You already know it all. And then he takes this posture to say, God, I give you my permission as if he needs it to search it all. The psalmist doesn't have any pretense that anything is hidden from God and he's come to the place where he wants to be completely free of sin. This morning, have you come to the place where you want to be completely free from sin? If so, I would encourage you to give the same invitation to God that the psalmist did. To search me. Put my actions and thoughts on trial and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And I just want to warn you that if you pray that prayer, if you say those words to God, he's gonna show you. And the first part of lamenting sin is recognizing or discovering what the Holy Spirit reveals to you. And the second part is your response to it. What are you gonna do about it? When the Holy Spirit points it out, will your response be to be defensive? Will you justify it or minimize it by saying, well, it's not as bad as whatever? This is what Adam and Eve did in the garden we should lament over our sin. And the Bible spells out all kinds of sins and I'm not gonna list them today and one of the reasons why I'm not gonna list them today is because I won't get all of them and I also believe that the Holy Spirit is a much greater convictor of sin than what I am and that even right now that the Holy Spirit can be shining a light upon your life and the things that shouldn't be there where you're missing the mark on personal holiness and God and the Holy Spirit could be speaking to you right now about it. The other reason why I'm not gonna go through a list is because even if I try to accumulate a list of all sins, there might be some of you who are like, I'm good with that one and my sin is not on there so I'm really good and so then you think higher of yourself than what you should and the reality is is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God so whether that sin would appear on the list or whether it appears in our heart God wants to deal with that today and so I would encourage all of us to confess our sin to him when you go to a shooting range to shoot a gun or a bow your goal is to hit the bullseye when you shoot at the target and the reality is that if you miss the bullseye by a yard or a millimeter, you still miss the mark. 
Those of you who are hunters know that, that there's a very small margin of error for hitting the mark. And so whether you miss it by a millimeter or whether you miss it by a yard, it still uh, leads to a different outcome than what you were hoping for with the hunt. And it doesn't matter whether your sin is a yard off and you consider that a major sin or a millimeter off and you consider it a minor sin, you've still missed God's bullseye of holiness. So again, the reality is all of us, all of us have missed the mark. Romans 3.23, Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no exception except for Jesus. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect. We've all missed the mark. And we miss the mark when we do things that we shouldn't. It's called sins of commission, when we commit a sin. We also miss the mark when we don't do what we should do. Those are called sins of omission. And the psalmist takes sin beyond actions, and he says, God, not just with what I shouldn't do and what I should do, but put on trial my thoughts. A commission of an outward sin always begins in the mind. And the psalmist says, I don't just want my actions to be free of sin, I want my thoughts to be free of sin also. So he writes, God, search my heart, try me, and know my thoughts. He reflects the desire for relationship and for God to know him. He asks God to scrutinize his life, to ascertain what's in his heart, and to refine him from all impurity that he finds. When I was a kid, I would go to my grandfather's house where he would melt lead down to make his own fishing weights. And he had this little pot that he would put uh, raw lead in. In fact, he would go to tire shops and get the used tire uh, weights that used to balance the tires, and he would melt those down into this pot. And there's this incredibly powerful imagery that took place uh, that I recognize in this and the Word of God. And it's this, that as my grandfather would melt down that lead, the impurities would rise to the top, the dross, the things that weren't pure lead. And my grandfather would take a spoon onto the top of that pot and he would gently scrape it off and then he would just cast it to the side. To where all that was left is the pure lead. And what the psalmist is saying to God and what our prayer should be to God is this, God do whatever you need to do to let the dross the impurity in my life rise to the top and God wants to do for all of us what my grandfather did with that lead and that's simply just to scrape all of that junk off and to cast it to the side. What a powerful image of the love of God and what he wants to do in our lives. Sin is forgiven at commission, not, excuse me, sin is forgiven at confession, not commission. And I'm not talking about the confessional booth, right? Just because we sin doesn't mean that we automatically receive forgiveness for that. Sin is forgiven when we confess it to God. And we don't need to sin more so that grace can abound even more. Paul writes in Romans 6, chapter 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, by no means. And so if we minimize, justify, or ignore the sin in our lives without confessing it to God, then we'll not experience his forgiveness. But when we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us. We can read this in 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9. But before we read verse number 9, let me tell you what verse number 8 says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive, deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not 
in us. So let me just tell you this morning that if you've come to church and you thought that this room was going to be filled with perfect people, you've, you've missed it today. And if you've shown up today and you thought that you were perfect, here's what we have today. We either have sinners in the room or liars, and by nature of being a liar is also a sinner, right? So all of us have sinned and all of us fall short of the glory of God. And in 1 John, it says that if you say that, uh, that you have no sin, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. But here's the hope that we have. In verse number nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Freedom comes not when we try to deny or hide our propensity to evil. Freedom comes when we open ourselves up to divine investigation of our hearts and our actions. Freedom comes when we invite the Holy Spirit to search us and prod us to expose the areas that we must change in our lives. Freedom comes when we trust God to clean out the closets. Freedom comes when we recognize, like the psalmist says, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Freedom comes when we recognize that God really does love us, even when he knows everything about us. Freedom comes when we ask for forgiveness and leave our sins with Jesus. During Lent, we pour out our grief and sin, our pain and regret, holding nothing back. And in response, God too holds nothing back, pouring himself out for our redemption. We live in such a, a hyper self-esteem driven culture where we're sensitive to not want to hurt anybody's feelings. And so children receive participation trophies, standards are lowered, rules are changed in an effort to protect people from experiencing failure. And I'm just afraid that for some, this mentality has shifted into the church. As we lament our sin, there will undoubtedly be doubts, excuse me, there will be thoughts and feelings of failure. It's not a bad thing when we recognize that it doesn't define us and God doesn't leave us where he finds us. And if we're going to put our thoughts and our actions on trial, God is gonna judge you guilty until you confess your sins and the case gets dismissed. When I was 18 years old, I was driving back from Springfield, Missouri to Memphis, Tennessee. I'd gone up for a college visit. 30 minutes away from home, I fell asleep, rear-ended a tractor trailer, took out 50 feet of guardrail and totaled my truck. Arkansas Trooper uh, invited me to sit in the passenger seat of his car. That was scary. This was before everybody had cell phones, and because I was on that trip, my parents had given me their cell phone, and I had a CB because I was redneck cool. And so uh, my dad, just by chance, calls me as I'm sitting in the passenger seat of the trooper's car, and he tells me over the phone, son, turn your CB down. Uh, Dad, that's not my CB. I'm currently sitting in a state trooper's car. Could you imagine? I tell him what happened. He was glad that I was okay. And uh, my, my award for the day was that I got a reckless driving ticket. That was fun. Total your truck and then realize that it'll be impossible to insure your next vehicle. And so I received this ticket, and I was guilty. And I went to the court not to tell the judge I wasn't guilty, but instead to plead for mercy. When I was there, the judge asked me a few questions. I respectfully answered each of his questions. And at the end, he stated that I could pay my fine and my court co cost on the way out. That's not the outcome I was hopeful for. My dad and I walked up to the court clerk's desk, 
and I was ready to pay the fine when the clerk said the judge dismissed your ticket. I said, excuse me? They said, you don't owe anything. The judge dismissed your ticket. For something I was guilty of, I was let go as if it had never happened. When we sin, we're guilty. We failed, yet time and time again, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we will find a merciful judge. And that when we confess our sins to him, that to him is as if it had never happened. In life, sometimes we want to avoid the things that reveal our weaknesses and make us uncomfortable. When confronted with our sin, we want to say that it isn't the person I am, but often it's the exact person that we are. Being confronted with our sin is a mercy. It's God given the opportunity to be set free from what binds us. And sometimes he might even use an unbeliever to make us aware of a sin. When that happens, it's not us being persecuted for our faith. Instead, it's God calling attention to areas in our lives that need purifying. And I've said this more times than I can count, but I think it bears repeating in this conversation. There are several things that we can feel when it comes to sin. One is conviction, second is condemnation, and third, we can feel nothing. And so I wanna take just a moment and break these down uh, for us. When we sin and we feel guilt or shame, to use a spiritual word, conviction, this is a gift from God, right? So when we feel guilt in the moment for what we've done or we feel shame in the moment for what we've done uh, or convicted, to use that spiritual word, it's a gift from God. The Holy Spirit is making us aware of how we've wronged God and giving us an opportunity to make it right. And the way that we make it right is by confessing our sin to God. Not only do we confess it, we repent. And so repentance is not saying, God, I'm so sorry for what I did, and then continuing to return to that. Repentance is turning away from it. And so repentance turning away from is the beginning of change in our lives. The second feeling that some can have with sin is condemnation. And condemnation is not from God, it's from the devil. A believer experiences condemnation when they sin and confess it to Jesus and experience forgiveness, but then the enemy keeps reminding them of their already forgiven sin, and this is not from God. The third feeling that some have with sin is nothing. Some have hardened their hearts and justified their sins to the point that they're no longer sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know, as long as you still feel convicted for the sin in your life, it's a good thing. When you no longer feel guilty for your sin, you should be concerned. We have to allow our hearts to remain soft towards the conviction of sin and grieve that sin and cry out with our desperate need for God. Walking with Jesus is a journey, and as we journey, we get glimpses of the future, but mostly we just see the day-to-day. The longer we walk with God, the more that we realize we don't know about him. And I believe the closer we get to attaining the righteousness he desires for us, the more wretched we realize that we are. Sanctification is a process, and it's not an excuse to keep on sinning. Instead, we just recognize that we're all a work in progress. When I ask somebody for physical directions to a house and those directions beyond, go beyond a couple of different turns, I do a couple of things. One is I immediately just tune out and quit listening, right? And the reason why I tune out and quit listening is because there's no way in the world that I'm going to remember turn three, four, or 12. Is it not gonna happen? The second reason why I tune out is because I have this device right here that if I type in an address anywhere on the planet, it will take me there. 
And so for me, I'm not going to waste your time or my time pretending like I'm going to remember the directions to wherever you're telling me to go because it's simply not going to happen. And I just wonder in this journey of life, for some who are maybe intimidated to even become a follower of Jesus or for those who are new in their faith and they look at the word of God and they think, this is intimidating, it's too much. And I just want to encourage you this morning with a couple of steps from the word of God and it's repent and turn to God, right? Two directions, repent and turn to God. And then rather than expecting yourself to know and memorize and obey all of this right off from the start, that instead that you would begin your relationship with God and then go on the journey of learning and memorizing and obeying his word. For many of you, when you were first saved, there was this drastic change that took place in your life. And since then, there's been this continued refining. And when you experience victory with one sin in your life, then you move on and you conquer the next as the Holy Spirit shines a light on it. And this should be encouraging, not discouraging. The longer we've walked with God, the more we should resemble him. Because it means the longer we've had to conquer sin in our lives and then conquer the next. We should get sweeter and more godly in our old age, not crankier and ungodly. And so whether we perceive sin to be small or big, we should lament over it. This week, PG, our children's pastor, shared this story of a man who lamented over his sin. He said that when he was a children's pastor in Oregon, there was a man about 40 years old who had a high schooler and a 10-year-old. And he decided to abandon his family and move in with a young female college student. The wife and daughters prayed every day that this man would experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And each night for dinner, they would set a place for him, hoping and praying and believing that just like the prodigal son, that he would come home and have dinner with him. And I'll just tell you that my wife, Erica, sitting on the front row would have a very different response. Hers would be much less merciful. There would be something besides dinner waiting for me when I got home, or she would make sure that that plate was poisoned. One of the two would be her response. One day this man came into PG's office and he was weeping. He was lamenting over his sin and he said, I hate what I've done. I've messed my life up. I want to go back home to my wife and to my kids, but I know that there's no way that she'll take me back in. PG looked at him and he said, so you don't know? And he said, know what? He said, your wife and daughters have been setting a plate for you at the table every night, praying and believing that you were gonna come home. There are some of you this morning that have been living in sin and you've royally messed up your life. And this morning, God wants you to know that he's been setting the table every day, waiting on your return. It's time to come home. It's time to lament your sin, to experience the forgiveness that God wants to give you and experience the freedom that he wants you to have. The devil's a hard taskmaster. He lures people in with lies and leaves devastation in his wake and the eternal and earthly consequences are so great. This morning, the place to start with lament is with the psalmist's words. Search me, O God, 
and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room? Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You say, today I need to enter into a relationship with him, or maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but you've turned your back on him, and you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to my maker. Just a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. Or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him when I count to three. Why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three. Lift them up all across this room. Thank you. I see those hands. One, two, three. You can put them down. Are there others this morning? Four. Are there others this morning? Thank you, God. Let's stand all across this room. There were at least four hands that went up this morning of people who need to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who need to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me. Mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you raise your hand and prayed that prayer today, we want you to know how proud we are of you. We'd ask that you would text the word yes to 319-250-8998. Text the word yes to 319-250-8998. We want to encourage you along in the decision that you've made and the journey that God's going to take you on. We leave time at the end of each service for another worship song as well as for those who've come today needing prayer for anything to get prayer. So in just a moment, the prayer team's gonna make their way from the seat. They're gonna come up here to the front. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer and at the end of that prayer, I would encourage you, if you've come here today with any kind of need and you just want somebody to pray for you, to step out of your seat and come forward. The other thing that I wanna encourage you to do in this next song is that that you would take this message to heart right away. This is a message for all of us, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. There's no pretense in here. This church is filled with imperfect people. And so today, rather than stay there, to leave in the same spiritual condition that we came in, we have an opportunity to confess our sins to God, to pray as the psalmist did, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way and lead me in the way everlasting. And I believe that God wants to lead some of you in the way of everlasting today, that he wants to bring freedom to your life. And so here's the deal. I'm going to pray for us this morning. 
And then I would encourage you, whether you want to step out from your seat, whether you want to kneel down where you're at, whether you want to continue to stand or whether you sit, that today that you would allow the Holy Spirit to do whatever he wants to do in your hearts. And I'll just tell you that the worship team will continue playing as long as we need to play today. There will be a formal dismissal, but if there are people who are still praying, they'll continue to to play because we don't want you to leave here until you've gotten what you came here for. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your presence in this room this morning, how you've already prepared hearts to hear this message. God, we thank you for the comfort that we find in your word, that we can truly recognize our spiritual condition and realize that all of us have failed, all of us have missed the mark, but by your grace and by your mercy, we can experience forgiveness and freedom. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would give each of us the courage to pray these words, that you would search our hearts, that you would try our thoughts and our actions, And God, I pray that we would have the courage today that whatever you reveal to us, that we would be willing to lay down at your feet, that we wouldn't try to justify or cover up or hold on to or minimize it, but instead that there would just be straight up obedience to your spirit this morning. That whatever you say, that we would lay it down. God, I pray that this would be a supernatural, powerful moment as people step out, as they cry out to you this morning, that you would move like only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.